0: Good morning. Hope everyone is well this morning. We have heat, which is great, which means you may or may not fall asleep. That was good the last few weeks. It was nice and cold, so your attention was set. But um, this morning we are going to be looking, and I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And it's a very short passage we're going to be looking at this morning in Mark chapter 4. And it's following on our series in Mark, which uh, myself, Steve, and and Andrew have been doing and will be doing for some time. And in recent weeks, Steve has been showing us the meaning behind the parables. So Jesus had been teaching in parables, and Steve was showing us the meaning behind those parables. In this morning's passage that we're looking at, Jesus is going to use a real-life situation to teach his disciples a lesson, to teach them something. And I hope to teach us something, because I firmly believe that God's word has the power to not only teach us, but to actually change our lives through the working of the Holy Spirit to actually transform who we are. And I know that uh, because of what is done in my own life and what is done in those around me. Um, So let us look at Mark chapter four, and I'm going to read from verse 35 to 41. So just this short passage at the end of Mark chapter four. Father God, uh, I thank you for the power of your word, the power of it to teach us and instruct us, and I trust God your word has the power to actually transform our lives, God, to change our whole perspective on life, that we stop living for ourselves and our own goals, and we see this much higher goal, a goal of living for and serving you, the living God, knowing you as our Savior knowing that we can rely on you, whatever is going on in our life. So I pray this morning, God, that you would speak through your word to us. Amen. So even from this very brief passage, and it is a a very short passage in Mark, I believe there are lessons that we can learn from this passage. So I'm going to bring to us this morning four lessons. It's always good when I set that out from the start, because you kind of know where I'm going, and they're not all going to be as long as each other. Okay, so Uh, four lessons that we can take from this passage in Mark about who Jesus is and how we should respond to him, about who Jesus is and how we should respond. So the first lesson I'd like us to learn from this passage is, in the storm, look to Jesus. In the storm, look to Jesus. Now just imagine, um, and stick with me on this one, just imagine if the gospel we preached was this, and it's not, okay? But if the gospel we preached was this, that come to Jesus, trust that he died on the cross for your sins, and you will receive the guaranteed blessing of health, of wealth, and an end to all of your sufferings. In other words, come to Jesus, trust in him, and you are guaranteed an easy life. Imagine if that was the gospel that we preached in this church. Well, The problem with that false version of the gospel is if you were new to the church, maybe you are, maybe you're here for the first time this morning. If you were new to the church, I think you would see very, very quickly that that is not what what happens in practice. Because it might fool you for a brief period of time, but as you begin to get to know the people in this church, the Christians in this church, you would see that they are not immune from suffering. You would see that the Christians you get to know, they face storms as well in life. You would see that Christians face sickness, experience the death of loved ones, frustrations in work, financial stress, difficulties in relationships, both in our own families and even, yes, within the church, difficulties in relationships. So yes, there are many storms in life. And even Christians, we are exposed to them. And that is why the gospel that teaches a life free from suffering is no gospel at all. It is not the truth of what the gospel teaches. Because facing struggles and suffering and hardship is not unique to the Christian, but what should be unique is how we respond to it. How we respond to Everyone in the world faces hardship, suffering, struggles. What should be unique about us as Christians is... How do we respond? Do we respond differently than those around us? The disciples in this passage, they were in a literal storm with Jesus. So they were literally in a storm with Jesus. A storm that became so powerful that it actually threatened to sink the boat and drown them all. That's what they thought. They were terrified. Now the question is, did their being in the very presence of Jesus make them immune to being caught in a storm? The very fact that they were with Jesus, did that make them immune to facing a storm? No. And actually, likely the very reason Jesus allowed this storm to happen was so that it would cause the disciples to look to him and increase their faith in him. And so they asked this question, the, the disciples, if you look to verse 38, they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing in the midst of this storm? I wonder how long it took for the disciples to turn to Jesus. We're not told. And maybe they, you know, first tried to get the water out of the boat, or maybe they tried to row back desperately to the land. We don't know. Or maybe they knew that their efforts were futile. When you have the power of the living God literally in your presence with you. So, we don't know how quickly it took for them to turn. The question for us is, Where do we turn when the storms of life hit? And I'm somewhat ashamed to say in my own life, I've been Christian for some time, and yet still, so many times, I will turn to my own efforts, my own strengths, before I come to God. Whatever the storm is in life. And so this happens with, kind of on a scale, it, it happens with the most insignificant things in our lives, the most insignificant problems, that we sort of look at them when we think, Yeah, like this is causing me pain and and me stress, but like would others care? Like literally would people in the church even care? Would my family care? Would my colleagues care? my community care? Let alone God. So we think, you know, this problem is, is too small, too personal for me to bring to God. Or else we look in the other side of our lives and we think this problem is too great. This suffering or this sin in my life is too great that God cannot conquer it. And I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have in my life. Either side of that scale. And yet should we not see that this same God that was in the boat with the disciples, that cared about them and their faith, he cares about us. He cares about our every need. However insignificant or ever huge we think it is. It's actually, it's either lack of faith or pride that keeps us either side from coming to God. Because he knows our problems and he cares for us. Even when we feel the situation is hopeless. And Joe Shane, as he prayed earlier about things going on in the church, I have no idea what's going on for many of you this morning. I have no idea what struggles you're facing. uh, What burdens you're carrying. And yet what I can say, because I can say it to myself this morning, is I urge us to look to Jesus in those situations. In those storms of life, to look to Jesus. And then we can join the psalmist as he says in Psalm 112, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. So lesson number one, where do we look in the storms of life? I would urge you, look to Jesus. The second lesson I'd like us to learn from this brief passage is Jesus knew what it was like To be human. Jesus knew what it was like to be human. So often when we come to God's word, and probably rightly so, so often we focus on the divine nature of Jesus, that he was fully God. And whilst that is great and good, we can then often forget that he was also fully human. So that passage that says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Is that not what we remember at Christmas time? That Jesus actually came down into this world as a baby to be with us, to share in our humanity. And you know, that's something that's so difficult to wrap our heads around. The idea that Jesus is fully God and yet was fully human. I don't fully understand that. I can't fully get my head around it. And yet it's a fundamental truth of Christian theology. Because if Jesus was not fully human, he could not have taken our place before God on the cross. He could not have taken our human sin on himself. And the reason I want to remind us of his humanity was because Jesus felt emotions just like we do. He felt pain. He felt suffering. He felt hunger and thirst. And yes, he felt tired and he needed sleep. And so we're told in verse 38 of this passage that Jesus was asleep, probably exhausted from he'd been traveling around preaching and teaching in the the passage just before this, and so he is tired. And so he settles down in in the boat, he finds a cushion somewhere, and he settles down and falls asleep. And do you have that family or friend who can sleep anywhere? I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't have that gifting myself. But you know, I've seen people sleeping in the most bizarre places. Like you see people sleeping on, you know, buses and trains and plane like the floors of planes. Normally that's children, to be fair. But you, you see people like park benches, beaches, church pews. You see, you know, <laughs> so you'll see people sleeping in the most unlikely places. And so Jesus, of all places, fell asleep on a small boat in a huge storm. can you imagine I, I don't know how much of a fan you are of boats particularly when they're out on rough seas and yet Jesus in that environment settled down and fell asleep and what's important here is that right when I'm in the middle of making a point about Jesus humanity I need to talk about his divinity because as a man he needed sleep he needed to rest but as the second person of the Trinity he could sleep soundly even in the midst of this storm secure in the knowledge that he and the creator god are one secure in the knowledge that this storm would not lead to their destruction that's why he could sleep he wasn't naive he wasn't stupid he wasn't foolish he wasn't neglecting the disciples jesus could sleep because he knew this storm was not going to lead to their destruction he had complete confidence that this was not going to take their lives that day literally his time had not yet come But back to his humanity. Jesus had a body like ours with all of its limitations, all of its needs, and yet represented there in the boat, he needed sleep. But sleep did not eliminate his divine authority. And he shared in our humanity so that he might perfectly represent our frailty before God on the cross. Jesus at no point became a sinner, at no point became frail, but he represented all of our sin and all of our frailty before God on the cross. And the reason I wanted to talk about Jesus' humanity is because, like I said earlier, I don't know what you're sitting here with this morning. What is in your mind? What is in your heart? What is going on in your life? So I could ask, are you sitting here this morning feeling alone? Feeling mocked or or misunderstood in your life, in your family, in your community? But Jesus knows your suffering. Jesus was accused during his time on this earth of being possessed. He was accused of being a madman. He was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Jesus knew what it was like to be misunderstood, to be alone, to be cast out. He knows what it is to share that suffering. I could ask, do you struggle to shake off Satan's attacks? Either telling you that... You don't deserve the grace of God or telling you or constantly reminding you of the sins of your past, constantly bringing up the sins from your past, reminding you, remember who you are. Remember what a sinful, dreadful person you are. Does Satan attack you like that? Well, Jesus wrestled with Satan himself for 40 days and 40 nights, just him and Satan. What's amazing, actually, just to make a a sub point on it, we have Jesus on our side. In any of these attacks, we have God on our side. Jesus faced the full wrath of Satan alone 40 days and 40 nights. He knows what it is to share in that suffering. This morning, do you feel weak and helpless? Do you feel burdened and overwhelmed? Well, Jesus went to the cross crying out to his Father, Why have you forsaken me? With all of that sin, with all of that burden on his shoulders... He cried out to God, Why have you forsaken me? And yet Jesus pushed through that grief and that overwhelming shame and suffering and he died on the cross so that your sins and mine could remain there for eternity. Never to be looked at again. Past sins, present sins, future sins nailed to the cross. I still don't understand that. I can't bring my mind to really comprehend that the immensity of that. And yet it's no less true just because I can't fully understand it. And that's why it's incredible that we have God's word because we can trust in it and rely on it even when our minds struggle to understand it. So Jesus knew what it was like to be human. And not only did he know what it was like to be human, but right here this morning, today, he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you despite all that he knows about you. Because I would think if Jesus knows me, why would he love me? Despite all that he knows about me and you, he loves you and he cares for you. Jesus knew what it was like to be human. The third lesson I'd like us to learn from this passage in Mark is when you fear, look to Jesus. When you fear, look to Jesus. So the disciples, again, if we come back to this passage, they're in a big storm, they're in a tiny little boat. So they really were terrified. They were terrified. They believed that they were going to die. So despite Jesus' confidence that he was able to sleep, the disciples were terrified. And they thought they were going to perish. Even though they were actually used to being in boats. Um, They were used to being out in boats on the water. Many of them actually came from fishing backgrounds. And so it was nothing new for them to be out in a boat on the lake. And actually in the chapters ahead in Mark, we'll see that Jesus and disciples are constantly out on the water, going back and forth from different places as part of Jesus' ministry. And yet this common everyday thing goes wrong, and so it frightens them. I don't know if you can relate to that. When things in life, you know, common everyday things go wrong, and it frightens us. They can be some of the most frightening things in our lives when common everyday things go wrong. Like if someone in our family gets sick, And suddenly, you know, it's like we hadn't even comprehend what would happen if this person got sick. What would happen if my car broke down and suddenly I don't have it? What happens if we get evicted from our house? These common everyday things that we rely on and don't think about until they happen. I just want to make a a little sub-note here because it's noted in the passage uh, that there were also other boats that followed. If you read there in verse, the end of verse 36, it says, and there were also other boats with them. So often when we come to this passage, we just focus on the one boat that Jesus was in, but there was also other boats. Perhaps people who were eager to share in the benefits of, of what they'd seen Jesus doing. So from a selfish point, maybe they'd seen Jesus was doing miracles, Jesus was healing people, and they wanted to be part of that from a selfish ambition, or maybe they really genuinely saw that he was the Messiah that this was the Son of God and so of course they wanted to be with him and to follow him but there's a lesson here for us if we commit to follow Jesus whether it is for the right or the wrong reasons we will likely face storms as part of that journey with Jesus in fact God's Word tells us it is more than likely we will face persecution and storms and struggles just for the very reason that we are following Jesus. And so if you're doing that for the wrong reason, very quickly you're going to find yourself in a storm. And if you don't trust in Jesus, who else are you going to turn to? So I wonder what the people in the other boats were thinking in the midst of this huge storm. And they were relying on the disciples in the other boat to reach out to Jesus because they probably couldn't through the power of the storm. But back to what it means to trust even in times of fear or when we are afraid. You know, sometimes when individual Christians, whether that's me or you or collectively as a church, when we're in a storm in life or when we're feeling afraid, we can often feel like Jesus is asleep. Have you ever had that feeling? Like your prayers aren't going up, like the ceiling is blocking them or something that that Jesus isn't hearing, that he is somehow asleep or or our prayers are not going answered. But we can trust, again from what God's word says, that our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121. Our God never slumbers or sleeps. I want to tell a a story here. Um, As a child, I, I never liked knowing that I would be the last one awake at night. I know it might sound bizarre, I don't know, can anyone relate to that? That's okay. But at night time, I don't know what age I was, I don't know how long this went on for, but I remember this period of time where I didn't like being the last one awake. And I had this sort of fear, this anxiety that like, what would happen if I needed something? I was obviously, I hope, fairly young. and thinking like, what if I need something? Who will I go to? You know, I'm in this house, everyone else is asleep. And I didn't like that feeling of being the last one awake. And so this went on probably for far too long, as things often do with kids. We keep them in our our heads, and we keep our worries to ourselves. Until one day, I went to my mom, and I said it to her. And my mom's response was she burst out laughing. She burst out laughing. Now, my mom is a lovely woman, and so (laughs) I'll explain. She was laughing in response because it was so ridiculous to her. This idea that I would be worried about being the last one awake. And I remember her reassuring me that, you know, it doesn't matter if we're asleep. We're only in, you know, this, come in, wake us up. Your mom, your dad, we love you. We care. Like, sleep isn't going to stop us from meeting your needs or meeting your fears. And I cannot tell you how many times I have turned to God in the middle of the night or the early morning or the middle of the day in the crowds of of work or the city center, wherever I have been, countless times I've cried out to God in prayer and he hears our prayers and he is always present. He is always present. And that's been a great comfort to me over the years that God always hears my prayers and he is always present. So when we don't know what to do, our eyes should look to Jesus, no matter what the fear, no matter what the situation. And the disciples did that in a very literal sense. Like they literally turned to Jesus and said, wake up, we need you, we need you. They saw that the storm was overwhelming the boat and they saw Jesus sleeping. And so they put one one and one together and said, Jesus, we need you, we need you, we need your help. And I'd love to know how they woke him up. Again, there's a lot of things we're not told in this passage. But the reason I'm saying I'd love to know how they woke him up is because you can tell a lot about how one person is feeling by how they wake another person up. Does that make sense? Like the person who's sleeping is unconscious, they don't know what's going on, but you can tell a lot about how the other person, the waking person is feeling by how they wake up the sleeping person. Like you've got the air host who sort of gently nudges you awake and says, you know, put up the blind, you know, the, the plane is, is landing and it's normally quite gentle and soothing. You've got the child this day next week who will bound into your room and leap up on top of you because how could you possibly be asleep? It's 6 a.m. It's Christmas morning. Get up and they're confident that they can just leap on top of you. Or you've got the the partner who sort of shakes you awake in the middle of the night because there's a a sound downstairs and it's sort of nerve-wracking and you're sort of, what's going on? So you can tell a lot by how someone wakes someone else up. And I suspect, even though we're not told, that their waking of Jesus was not too gentle. And why is that? Because we're told their fear was great. Their fear was great. And they thought they were going to perish. Now you'll see in verse 39, Jesus did not reject the disciples for their unbelief or fear. He rebukes the waves, not the fearful men. And there's a lesson again for us here that we need to be patient and humble with those who are slow to trust in Jesus. Because he's endlessly patient with us. Jesus endlessly patient with us. And so then they question in verse 41, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And even as they ask that question, it says in this passage that they are filled with great fear. And I thought this was fascinating as I was studying this because they realized the only thing more terrifying than the waves coming into the boat was having God already in the boat with them. They realized that when Jesus woke up and he had the power and authority to just silence this storm, they realized the only thing more terrifying than the waves coming into the boat was having God already in the boat with them. And so now they have a justifiable fear, a reverence for the power of Jesus, which they had just witnessed. And the Bible consistently teaches throughout the Bible that a reverent fear of God is An appropriate response as we understand our sin in comparison to His holiness. We should have this right, reverent fear of God because of His authority, because of His holiness. So, no matter the situation, no matter the fear, look to Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Whatever the fear, look to Jesus. The fourth and final lesson that I want us to learn from this passage is that Jesus remains in control. Jesus remains in control. Now generally speaking, it takes time for a storm to brew. I'm saying generally speaking because in Ireland it doesn't. Okay, (laughs) weather can change. We've seen that in the last week. I don't know how many types of weather we've had even in the last seven days. But generally, it takes time for a storm to brew. We see it coming. We see a storm brewing. And so we're not told in this passage if the disciples had warning or not. We're not told. It says in verse 37, a great windstorm arose. Likely they were already some distance out on the lake. The reason I'm saying that is because if they weren't, they likely would have dashed and rowed quickly back to the shore. So they were likely some distance out. But whether it took time to build up or not, what we should notice is that it only takes a moment for Jesus to silence this storm. It only takes a moment for Jesus to silence the storm. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So we should not be surprised that Jesus had authority over the wind and the waves. I'll read to you from John 1, 2 to 3. You don't need to turn there. It says, He, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 15, 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So rather than trying to explain away miracles like this, we should actually be open to expecting the miraculous more often because this is the God of the universe we're talking about. This is Jesus who has full authority, full power and control over all of creation. We should expect it more often. And this account in Mark proves, along with other passages, that Jesus had power and complete control over the natural world. And that's important even today because we live in a world, in a culture, in a society where everyone around us is becoming increasingly fixated on the environment, on the uncertainty of the environment around us. And there is some justification to this. We see floods, we see drought, we see famine and storm affecting other parts of the world far more than here in Ireland. And so we see that, and yet God remains in control. And that's the crucial part of it. Do you believe that God remains in control? Do you feed into, do you become absorbed with this environmental uncertainty and anxiety, or do you trust that God remains in control? And as Christians, should we help protect and look after the world around us? Of course we should. Of course we should. Of course we should look to to look after this earth that God has blessed us with. And yet, where are our eyes ultimately fixed? Are our eyes fixed on the storm that is going on? or the one who remains in control of all things? Where are your eyes fixed? Because if God is in control of the wind and the waves, surely his power is enough to quieten the storms in my life or to hold me securely through that storm so that I will not be shaken and destroyed. God doesn't promise that he will eliminate the storms from our life, but he does promise that he will hold us through them, that he will not put anything on us that we cannot bear. So this morning, do you see the wonder of who Jesus is? And has this ever caused you to truly humble yourself before him? You know, in the quietness, like away from the church, even away from your family. Has it ever caused you to come humbly just as the man, the woman, the child that you are and humbly kneel or lie down before him and acknowledge that he is God, that he is in control of all things? that he holds you fast no matter what is going on in your life. Because Jesus is a real savior who came to save sinners like you and like me. So as I close this morning, I'd just like to encourage us as we face into this week ahead, a busy week with Christmas ahead and many things to distract us, that whatever the storm, whatever the fear in your life, turn and look to Jesus. Trust that he has already delivered you. Not so that you'll have a comfortable and easy life, but so that you can share in his glorious presence for eternity, for all time, where there'll be no more sadness and pain. Trust that he has conquered the power of sin and death which once ruled over you, and he has set us free to trust in him even when we feel like the boat is about to sink even when we feel the boat is about to sink. Let me pray. Father God, I cannot even remember how many times in my life I have had to cry out to you, God, because of various suffering or sin in my life, God. But Father, what I do remember is that each and every time you hear and you answer those prayers, God, Each and every time you have held me fast, even though I can at times still feel like I'm crumbling, like there is no hope, and yet you have held me through those times, God. And I trust that you have and will do the same for every person here, God. That if we trust in you as our Savior and our God, we can have full confidence that you hold us, God, through whatever is going on in our life. And Father, I pray. However difficult those sufferings or sins in our lives are, I pray that they would not distract us and stop us from looking to Jesus, from seeing the amazing grace that you showed to us by coming and dying on the cross for our sins, and how you have set us free, God, to live a life with so much more purpose and so much more meaning than we could ever plan for ourselves, God. I pray that each person here might know what it is to know Jesus as their personal Savior and that if they don't, today might be the day that they humble themselves before you and know you as their Lord. God, for the rest of us as we face into this week, again, I pray that there will be times that we can sit or kneel or lie before you in a quiet place where no one else sees and we can acknowledge that you are our God and how much we love you. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.